Lakeisha Gunter, and you're listening to Roar, an energetic and enlightening weekly podcast that will help you achieve more. This weekly infusion of candid insights, indispensable lessons, inspiring stories, and success strategies for living your best life now will help you on your journey to making your dreams a reality. My experience as a Fortune 50 business and tech executive has led me to meet some pretty amazing people. On Roar, I share real talks with top executives, thought leaders, luminaries, authors, and entrepreneurs who are passionate about building the next generation of inspired, empowered, game-changing leaders. Are you ready to fear less and move into your dream life? Let's Roar! Welcome to Roar. I'm your host, Lakeisha Gunter. So what do I mean by Roar? The acronym stands for Reflection, Opportunity, Action, and Relationships. And it's an action. We are all born with it, a hidden power inside of us. It is a fire that is often suppressed by fear. That power is your Roar, and it's waiting to be unleashed. Today, I want to talk about the power of visionary leadership. With the right vision, you can change an industry. Visionary leaders imagine the invisible. They set the vision, foster understanding, and engage a community to achieve it. A visionary leader is also a person who steps out, and they create a clear picture of a positive future state. This can take a lot of courage because creating a vision for the future is basically imagining what could be and what should be. That feels very risky for leaders. It's stepping out of the norm. And there are certain things that one must do to achieve that vision. First, they must embody courage. Second, forge clarity. Third, build connectedness and ultimately shape the culture to achieve it. My guest today is a visionary leader, an industry game-changing leader. Bertoni Boston is the proprietor and winemaker of Abbey Creek Vineyard in North Plains, Oregon. Bertoni isn't your traditional winemaker. Prior to even opening his business, he didn't even drink. He likes to think of himself as an accidental winemaker. His foray into the wine business may have been accidental or not intentional, but looking at him today, you would never guess that. Great things have come from his golden touch. He's walking in his purpose and divine destiny. He's breaking stereotypes with each bottle. Bertoni is the first recorded black winemaker in Oregon, and he's garnered attention from around the globe for his quest to grow diversity in winemaking. He has a vision to change the game in the winemaking industry, and he's doing just that. It's not every day that you visit a tasting room that plays hip hop. That's right, hip hop. And serves Brazilian hot sauces and features wines with the names like Sunshine, Diva, and Big Sexy. But Abbey Creek Vineyard is different from most. So let me introduce you to the man, the black man behind the Northwest's only hip hop winery, my friend, Bertoni Faustin. Welcome, Bertoni. 
Hey, hello, Lakeisha. Thank you for having me today. Oh my gosh, I'm so thrilled to have you with us today. And and just to give you an opportunity to share with our audience, because just, I mean, what you've been able to do over your career is just phenomenal. I mean, you've broken so many paradigms in the winemaking industry, and it all started with your powerful vision, with a boldness that you carry, and just a persistence that wouldn't be denied. At least that's how I see it. And that's how it ended up being, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you saw what no one else saw. You saw potential and opportunity in North Plains, Oregon, right? And because of that vision, I mean, this whole part of the Pacific Northwest has changed because of what you've been able to do. And so I definitely want to talk about all that. But before we do, I want to give the listeners some insight into who you are personally, you know, your background and all that. So if you're okay with it, we'll launch into that space first. Is that all right? That is fine. That is fine. Perfect. So what's kind of interesting and funny now when people are finding me now, it's all of the glitz, the glam, and the glory. But... You know, and I'd be a liar, though, if I wasn't, you know, remiss to to tell you this was never intended Mm -hmm. initially. Mm -hmm. I always joke and tell people I'm an accidental winemaker, (laughs) you know, from the beginning. And the vision you call or being a pioneer or a trailblazer, all of this actually started from tragic. Mm. Um, What a lot of folks don't know is um, I was born in New York City, grew up in Queens. My family's from Haiti. My parents and my siblings and my two elder siblings were born in Haiti. Myself and the other three kids were born in New York. Mm-hmm. So in 69, dad comes to the States, you know, does his thing. I went to school in Florida, North Carolina. In 99, it was one of those, you know what, I'm going to Cali. You know, I was going West. That was, that was my mission in life. However, Oregon got me first and I never made it. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, for us. Yeah, no. yeah, no, indeed. I worked for anesthesiology at OHSU as an anesthesia technician. So medicine has always been sort of my career path that I've gone in and out of. A lot of it actually comes from, I'm not sure how many Caribbean families you know, but if you're not a doctor, a lawyer, engineer, you're a failure to the family. I understand. So, I've heard that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so most of my life, I was never really living for myself. Mm-hmm. I was trying to fulfill these, I guess, call them dreams or expectations of family, etc. And again, it's no one's fault. I mean, still, I'm the one at the end of the day who has to make the decision. But most of my life was, was built on just trying to fulfill this idea of something, but not truly feeling real fulfillment inside. Mm-hmm. And again, when you're in it, you don't really know it you don't know you're just doing right you know you're not content you know you're not happy but you're just you know going along the way but in 2007 my father passed Mm -hmm. and initially or not initially but immediately were feelings of guilt of not living up to legacy Mm. and by legacy I mean again my parents coming to the states of my brother and sister in 69 not speaking the language not having a degree but needing to be successful because of all of those challenges. I used to say in spite of, but no, it's because of all of those challenges that they had to be successful. White folks would call them boat people. Mm. You know, uh, Black Americans would call them Uncle Tom because my dad would, you know, just be grinding, putting his head down and, you know, going to work. But uh, the trifecta was when his fellow Haitians, they shunned him because they thought he made it and wasn't given back. Wow. You know, so... 
So a long time ago, uh, before, you know, you and I, were, so we both got the same coach, before we heard the own who you are mantra, mm-hmm. my dad did just that. He just decided, you know what, I'm just going to own who I am. I joking. He did yoga back in the seventies before it was cool. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so again, he just lived his life his way and we never had those conversations. My parents worked. I, we joke again. I think you lived in the South. Yeah. We say he worked from cat to cat. Can't see in the morning till you can't see it. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So my parents weren't really around, but this was this weird osmosis or, you know, by the way he lived his life and almost a life that I always ran away from, you know, as a younger person. Back in the day, growing up, it wasn't cool to be Haitian. You know, everyone wanted to be Jamaican. I call it Jamaican. You know, we were, we were, you, know you were West Indies. Just because of all of the, the tension and uh, the stereotypes of Haitian culture. Yeah. So in a way, I hid that pride. And when my dad passed in 2007... Literally, it was just like, you know what? I'm done. I quit my day job. I worked for anesthesiology. We had money. We had stuff. But it was a lie. It was all a lie. So, yes, I quit my day job. That was my tragedy point. But the opportunity side was because of the property that I bought from my in-laws. I've got 50 acres now on Germantown Road in the West Hills. But um, my father-in-law had planted five acres of grapes for tax deferral. Out here, and I think most states, if you have a piece of land, you want to get a tax break, plant something. You know, you'll get a farm deferral. Uh, Most of our neighbors planted Christmas trees. But they had no intention of actually making wine or doing anything. They sold the grapes some years past, but it was never the idea of ever being a business. Mm -hmm. And myself, I didn't even drink, you know, when I started. When I decided to, I'm going to go ahead and make wine. My plan B was... I'll make reasons if it didn't work. <laughs> you know, that was just the mindset that I was in. Again, I always fell back to the things my dad did. You know, all of the challenges, all of those uh, stressors in life, wine was going to be simple, you know, regardless if I drank or not. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about this idea of, you say, this vision or being a visionary, mm-hmm. the beauty, I think, for me was I didn't have, because a lot of people that are in the industry have this vision or this idea of legacy or pedigree of what the wine industry is. I didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, my vision was me being free. Gotcha. You know, I was going to go ahead and live the life that I wanted to live to make myself fulfilled. Mm-hmm. That was my vision. That's what I was deciding to lead with. 13 years ago, I know I was the first black winemaker. Do mm-hmm. you know when I actually decided to own that title? 2015. Wow. Just recently. Because I didn't, just recently, and the, the reason is, I didn't want to be your pioneer. <laughs> I didn't want to be your futurist. Because I was living selfishly. I wanted to live for me. Right, right. And then the other things, again, it's hindsight, it's always easy to, to have the title and think, yes, I was a pioneer and trailblazer. But we forget to talk about the fear and the insecurities mm-hmm. that we had prior to all of those successes that we now see and celebrate now. And it was just me still not being sure of who I was or owning who I was. But one big moment started to occur. Customers would be coming into the winery and start asking, who's the winemaker? (laughs) And then time after time, I would get a glance when I say it's me. And then it would be, well, you don't have a venue, do you? 
Once you said yes, they would ask you whether or not you own the venue. Is that what you were saying? Correct. Correct. Because it, it was this disbelief that, hold up, you're the winemaker and you own this, you know, but you don't have a vineyard, right? No. Yeah, I have. Again, when we talk about vision, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone, regardless if you're in the industry or not, has this vision of who looks the part. True. The industry painted that picture beautifully of what a winemaker or vineyard owner is supposed to look like. And guess what? It wasn't me. You broke all those stereotypes. <laughs> it was Shattered not me. <laughs> and that was the moment when I decided, you know what? I will be this visionary or what we call, you know, I will be the pioneer. I will be the change maker. I will be the futurist of this industry because said industry said I didn't look the part. Now I'm going to go ahead and own that. You know? Wow. That's where everything changed because on paper, I was actually successful the first seven years just going along. I knew intently that the traditional methods of an industry didn't fit me. And I did things my way. Mm-hmm. And I was okay with that. However, in 2015, that's literally when I really decided to, now I'm going to own who I am. That's when I decided to produce the documentary. Because since no one was going to share my story, why don't I just do it myself? Well, and to that point, right? I mean, you were, to your point, kind of blazing your own trail, doing things your way um, in a way that you thought would bring a new experience to people who loved wine and to the Pacific Northwest. But to your point, you were the only one, at least on record for quite some time. But I heard you say, and I've, I've read where you said, you know what, it's time to break the paradigms. It's time to open the doors of opportunity to other people. And I think, is that when you decided to launch into creating your your own movie? Like, you know, you've already broken one paradigm. You've already broken one barrier. Now you're going into the movie industry. Talk more about that. Well, Exactly what you said. I, I'm Mr. Catchphrase, you know, and um, <laughs> I'm the quote guy. I, I, like to, I like to give the quotes and the one-offs and the, the, leave you, mm-hmm. the, the leave you with a line. And, you know, like the movies, right? Have they, the one-liners, <laughs> the hero, right? Yeah. yeah, the hero has a one-liner that leaves you. Oh, my gosh, you said that. <laughs> but I summed it up simply as, okay, I'm going to own this title. It's great that I'm the first. However, it's more important that I'm not the last. Yes. Again, what was the largest way for me to be able to do that? I'm going to make my own movie. You know, and then not just share my story. However, I'm going to pick some underrepresented minorities as well, because I knew that was going to allow us to have a bigger stage, you know, in sharing these stories. Wonderful. That's wonderful. when the movie came out. Because again, deciding to own who I was, you know, and seeing the future of this is what I want to do. I was a winemaker who didn't drink and was still open in the industry for seven years. So making a movie wasn't that crazy either after that. But again, another life-changing point was that was the year I hired Eldridge Broussard as well. Mm -hmm. And one of the first things uh, I think he tells all of his new clients, do you want me to make you feel better or be better. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So again, literally, and then I'm like, well, what's the difference, right? You know, that's the first <laughs> thing you go <you> know with. <laughs> right. And then it's like, no, no, no. Listen to the words I said. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to feel better 
or be better, you know? And, and one of the things when I was seeing the topic about the, the visionary leadership, I think one thing that hurts us as individuals, we've been built upon this mentor model. You know, it's cool to say you're a mentor. It's cool to say you're being mentored. But I found out that part of being a mentor is the person is just trying to make you a better version of them, where a coach is there to make you a better version of you. Wow, that is powerful. So yes, I could have hired a mentor in 2015 to make me a better winemaker. But instead, I brought on a coach because I decided, you know what, I want to be a better me. That is powerful. That's, again, what is hard for us is we buy into the words. We buy mm-hmm. into the things that everyone's, oh, I would like to be a mentor me or I want to be a mentor. And again, a mentor is, is essentially someone in the same field that they're trying to have you follow their steps. Where's the vision in that? Is that your vision or their vision? Mm-hmm. You know, to me, that's the death of the wine industry. Everyone has this idea of a vision of what was done prior. Mm-hmm. And it clouds you sometimes. It, it actually clouds you because you don't see past that. You're only seeing the passion. Mm-hmm. I always tell folks the fact that I wasn't passionate about wine is actually what allowed me to not take the same path. That's so true. That everyone else has taken. Because uh, as a business model, the wine industry, it, no school of business is going to teach you the business of wine to show you how positive business goes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it makes no sense on paper. But again, because I decided to be the rebel that was actually bred into me by my heritage, mm-hmm. I decided to go to North Plains to open a winery instead of going to wine country. Mm-hmm. I used a different leadership thoughts in the sense of, where can I be the most impactful Love it. where you don't expect me to be, you know, and that's Oregon on, you know, as a whole or Portland, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're a professional black woman in Portland. You know, what's, what are the things that we hear and echoed by our peers? The whitest city in America. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. But guess what? If I was in Atlanta, would I be as impactful? If I was in DC, if I was in Chicago, it's funny. Um, I was in D.C. Mm-hmm. And I did, and it's been a while since I traveled. I, I went for, to represent Travel Portland. And I was giddy. I saw all of these black folks. So I'm, I almost got hit by a car saying hey to everybody. <laughs> right. <you know? laughs> but they looked at me like I was crazy. crazy. Yeah, yeah. You know, they looked at me like, what is wrong with this? <laughs> I know what you mean. And again, and, but it just hit back home again. You know, it's hard for us. And we've grown up with the word token and yeah. a negative sense. Right. But when you go to Vegas, what is it everybody wants? Those tokens. They do. They do. Yeah. It's opportunity. But what's the difference? It's the value that is put on said token. Absolutely. Wow. So being the token is not the problem. It is not. It's the value you put on that token. Mm-hmm. And, what, and what always goes back to me as well is, you know what? Somebody needs to see me. Yes. Someone out there needs to see me. Yep. I think about my kids, 13 and 11 right now. Up until 2016, they only knew a Black person. Yeah. Imagine what their lives are going to be because someone saw him. Obama decided to let us see him. Absolutely. He decided to. So again, that's what made me sit into the the seat of being the futurist. Mm -hmm. You know? And what I've done now is I've taken the wine industry and I didn't even know the term, even though I was doing it. But what I did is I repurposed the wine industry. Oh, you know? yes, you did. So 
I've taken it and turned it into what I want it to do for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, again, where being the future of everything. And I, again, my newest slogan is I don't just love the industry. What I love most is what it allows me to do and where it allows me to go. What you do allows you to have tremendous impact. And right. And that's what you love. It's about your ability to impact people's lives for the better is what I, is what I th- think I'm hearing. Yes. And the beauty, again, where we use the synonyms, you're using visionary. I'm using futurist. Mm-hmm. I'm using leadership. Mm-hmm. All of these things come from what my industry, which everyone just thinks is just mine mm-hmm. and where it allows me to go. I was in Tokyo last year representing uh, Portland in diversity. Wow. You know, talking about the lack of a diversity in industries, et cetera. You think Portland is the widest city. Japan is quite homogenous. Right, it is. (laughs) You know, but it would have never happened unless I decided to own the industry or repurpose the industry that I was in. I love that. I mean, you said, you know, you believed that people needed to see you. They needed to see the realm of possibility in winemaking, look, the landscape is now different, not just the land itself, but the people. And I think that goes back to why you you created that, you know, the, the documentary for, you know, your journey into winemaking, what red, white, and black documentary, right? On Abbey Creek Vineyard. I mean, that was powerful, right? And then now you're really global talking about not just the impact of you being the first, you know, black winemaker in Oregon, but the impact that you're having on people and the industry and being able to travel across the globe and break paradigms, because that's what it's about, right? Correct. And again, and I just felt that it had to be bigger than wine. Mm-hmm. It had to be bigger than wine. And it goes back to the, again, and I told this fine line of business and being intention and intentionality. Obviously, you open business to make money. Yes. Right? I mean, you have to. But my biggest freedom came once I realized that or and accepted that everyone wasn't going to be my customer. Yes. Yep. Again, uh, if, if I was being honest about the reasons I decided to not take just a cliche leap of faith, but I took an intentional leap of passion to go do what I wanted to do, that just reaffirmed my freedom of being who I was and being okay with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll talk about that. You know, what sets you apart? You know, what is the Abbey Creek experience? And to your point, what type of customers, you know, are you servicing? Um, I mean, it's, it's the destination. People come from all over to get to Abbey Creek and I'm grateful because you're just a few minutes down the road from me, but talk about <laughs> the Abbey Creek experience and, and what you're delivering out there. We are delivering and, and it actually says it on our building where, again, most wineries would have, you know, we have gold reds, crisp whites. And my simple message to you is to feed your soul, love, magic, and moments. Mm. That is what we deliver. That is what, because if we led with the wine model, which, again, is perfectly fine for those who do that, how many people do you think I could connect with each day? You know, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a handful of the, of the Oniophiles that, actually do care about terroir. And again, all of those things do matter, but then also they don't. This is a moment where you know how you door, but it's up to me how you leave. And I've got this one amazing moment to connect with an individual. And most people, yes, we are the hip-hop winery of the Northwest. So most people would put us in the lane of, well, that's the black winery or that's the millennial winery. 
I have more white seniors that just love who we are and love to be here <laughs> and love to connect because it's true and it just feels good. So that's what Abby Creek gives you is the experience. Love it. And I, so you said a phrase earlier, something about when we come in the door, we come in one way, but we leave the, the other way. Say more about that. I, I missed that. That was really good. Well, once I decided to live with the mantra or the model of it has to be bigger than wine, what are we really here to do? Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to change the world, you have to change the game. And I get to do that every time a customer comes in. Mm. Because it's not necessarily just the conversation me and you as a customer have. It's when you go home, that impact that I've put on you. Because we are all leaders, right? We are all influencers. Mm-hmm. We have to decide to own to influence or to own to lead. And that's where I, I get the idea of, you know what, you walk in that door, it is up to you. But now it's up to me how I let you leave. Oh, I love it. I love and it. And again, I see the power in being able to change the world one person at a time. That's what I leave with. I tell all of my associates, literally, this is how we decide to change the world. Wow. Well, listen, I mean, you've been certainly changing, you know, the world of winemaking to your point, one person at a time, because it is just an amazing experience, the vibe. It's just family. I mean, you walk in and you instantly feel at home. And that's just the environment that you created. And people love that, right? I mean, you're always busy. And I love it. Talk a little bit about, I mean, I know what the beginning was like, and you had to overcome some barriers. You know, how did you get people to kind of buy into your leadership vision as a winemaker? Because where you are today is totally different than where you were when you first got started, right? Again, uh, the folks who didn't buy into it didn't matter. Mm -hmm. I had already gotten to a point when I decided to, I know the new word is pivot, from Mm -hmm. trying to just sell wine. Once I accepted that I was going to be bigger than wine, the other things didn't matter because I wasn't going to let you put me back into the wine box, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Absolutely. I think the biggest mistake that business and industry doesn't teach us about branding is most entrepreneurs or companies hide behind the thing or whatever product that they are selling. For me, and uh, you were asking what makes people gravitate to us or come and follow us, are the facts that I decided that, you know what, I wanted you to fall in love with me and not just what I did. I can connect with you more because of who I am than what I do or what I sell. Mm-hmm. So in an entrepreneurial way, that was my way of making sure I was recession-proof because I didn't want anything else controlling my success in the sense of how I did business or how I worked. I knew I could bet on me. Yes, you know? yes, yes. Wine is a, it's like art. You know, someone loves it and then someone thinks the opposite, 100 degrees. Uh, To me, again, personally, it made no sense climb this battle of this uphill battle of trying to make this perfect product. Mm -hmm. Look at the wine industry. There's people with more money, more influence, more access, more everything. It It would be a loss. And again, I think entrepreneurs always are trying to compete against this idea of of a thing because you're thinking I need to follow that as opposed to because the vision is you're trying to mimic as opposed to trying to create. 
Wow. Yeah, yeah. everything in, in that we see in life is coaches. You, everybody talks about, wow, you know, LeBron is great. Or what? How many LeBrons are we going to get? How many Le- Michael Jordans can we get? We mm-hmm. can. But everyone is still, though, outside. I mean, even Gatorade told us, be like Mike, right? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But it's the biggest lie ever. You can't be like Mike. You nope. know, it's factually impossible. You know, and uh, again, because of the person we have in common is our coach. The new word that I just learned: the envision and envisage. You yeah. know, visionary has been falling into that envision side of these ideas that are in theory, mm-hmm. where envisions are envisage is. Mm-hmm. Thoughts, dreams, uh, you know, things that you're thinking about that can be actual. You know, Absolute, actualization. Actually mm-hmm. Actualization. And yes, and those are those subtle changes that I did prior to even knowing those terms and those words. So it's not really about the product. The wine is great. It's about the experience. It's about the relationships, to your point, because relationships are timeless, no matter to your point, if it's a global pandemic we're in a recession, whatever it is. Because you're, And speaking of that, because you've cultivated such deep relationships, your business is actually growing in spite of the fact that maybe we've got this social distancing because your clients have actually, you know, they're all over the world. They're all over the U.S. And so they're still ordering wines, right? Because of the relationship. Because of the relationship that we built and we created early on. And those are so powerful, relational capital is the most powerful thing. But again, we dismiss it because of why? Feelings, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> feelings is our biggest issue. We allow feelings. Uh, what is the, the new lessons we've been learning from Coach L? Emotions are data, right? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Emotions are just data. And never let your emotions outweigh your outweigh intelligence. Outweigh your intelligence, <laughs> yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, oh and and then what I'm upset about is I think back to all of my emotional days, you know, and, and all the missteps, right. the missteps I've done because I reacted emotionally to a situation, to a thought, to a, in anything. You know, we, we're, you know, we're in a different stage now, but we're so glad we will not have to repeat the same mistakes of the past, oh, right? <laughs> no, no, at least try not to, you know, right, or, right. or what we do is you build that squad around you that is now going to allow mm-hmm. to we repeat mistakes from the past. But the beauty about all of this, guess who's in control? You. We are. Mm-hmm. Yes. You yep. get to decide yep. who's your circle. You get to decide the people who you're going to allow to influence you, the people that you're going to put the time in for. You yes. Know, it, we all know the Rolling Stone said it. Time is not on our side. You know, regardless of what I say, it is not on our side. So we choose the things, the people, the experience, the moments that matter. Yes. So again, wow. I took the wine industry and I've cultivated it into moments. You know, mm-hmm. and when, again, but and when I speak to folks or when I keynote, when I travel, um, I was in New York for the Future of Everything Festival. My biggest message to people is to let them know: do not wait until the rock bottom. Don't wait until that tragic moment to decide to take the leap of passion. You know, wow. uh, my issue was leap of faith you still have a safety net. Yeah. Because yeah. you tell yourself, mm-hmm. well, I tried, you know, so the leap of passion is going out there and living that life you want to live because all it comes down to is what are you willing to sacrifice? Wow, that's powerful. I love that leap of passion. We were just talking about leap of faith. 
and soaring uh, last week on the podcast with Mary, but I love the leap of passion because what you're saying is there may not be that safety net, but you're going all in. You you are going all in and then all of a sudden it means more. You know, Mm -hmm. COVID times have shown us, right? Now the things that we took for granted mean more. Yes. You You know, being able to just go to a friend's house or whatever, all of this means more. So now you think about, well, who am I going to hang out with when we do get those moments. <laughs> I know that's right. Woo, we're ready. <laughs> you, now you are going to handpick, you know, and then do what you right. need to do. And the mm-hmm. other flip for that for entrepreneurs, you've noticed now people have, they're sitting still in these moments of who do we support? You know, yeah. mm-hmm. who do we decide to support now? Mm-hmm. You know, and it, to me, it's the people that gave you more than just the product that they were selling. That is so true. It's relationships is how yes, I feel. Yes, indeed. Yes, right? I want that feeling of connectedness to the experience that you gave me. So you have my business all day long. <laughs> That's when, when the pandemic hit, you know, the wine industry had to do this hard pivot. They started mm-hmm. doing virtual tastings and all mm-hmm. of these other things, which worked well for some and not for others. We decided to huddle. Mm-hmm. I've, I've had multiple interviews. Everybody asked me, well, what did you do? I did nothing. Mm-hmm. I just decided to stop, sit. Athletes, you know, I'm sure you were an athlete or you hear the analogy, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. look at the field. You sit back and look, see what's coming at you now. Instead of just pivoting, not knowing what's going to be right or left. You know, you want the field of vision to mm-hmm. see what's going on. So that's literally what I did. Because, again, I didn't make the main direction or focus of my business to be derivative through money. Yep. Never. Yep. Of the idea <laughs> the money, of money will come. Oh, yeah, it'll exactly. come. <laughs> but if you've put yourself in a position to where money is the driving force, because you have to have it, mm-hmm. you fall into those traps. Yeah. Again, yeah. Right? but it all started with deciding to live for me and the freedom. I didn't want anybody to control how I lived my life or ran my business. So again, people come to me, well, how are you going to scale? Maybe I don't need to scale. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Again, right. everything, everything everyone sees is, well, then you have to go bigger, right? You know, bigger, better, faster, more. Nah, I'm content. Because if I scale, now I have to put control from the entrepreneur side. Now I have to put my brand in someone else's hands. Someone else's hands, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. why? You made the thing. You created <laughs> it. You put all of the blood, sweat, tears, and then you hand it off. For the uh, the idea of this reward of scale, now mm-hmm. I'm global, now I'm everywhere. Now you're not in control, <laughs> you know, and I'll own it. Call me the control freak, you know. <laughs> I don't want anyone to have control over me or how I live my life. I do not want to split the difference. You Love know? it. Love I do it. not want to split the difference. Well, I mean, you're taking um, as the owner, as the entrepreneur, as the visionary, as the person that's leading with the passion for what you do, it still allowed you to go into new areas, movie making. And then I think you're, are you stepping into any other new business arenas in 2020 or beyond? What are your thoughts there? Oh, of course. We are actually, I'm going to be working with uh, Coach L on doing some entrepreneurship coaching with Love it. not just people of color, but uh, first, first in industries and teach them how to navigate, you know, because I am in the the pioneer. I am in that trailblazer seat. So now I get to help others navigate those types of uh, avenues. The other spin to it 
is goes back to again the intention of not being the last. We've been working yeah. with uh, Rosemary Anderson uh, with the high school kids, having them come through the vineyard, and um, that was one of the most amazing experiences because I'm sure they get used to people going to them and talking at them. Mm-hmm. So what we did from March all into October, the kids came out to the vineyard, and we wow. just started going to work, and they got to see, touch, feel. They actually helped us process. And you understand, these are high school kids. Obviously, can't give you wine at the end. Right. Um, <laughs> however, I decided to make Pinot Noir juice so mm-hmm. that the kids could actually see exactly all of the work we've been doing from February to March, you know, the end result. And because of this, we have the most, I can't keep this juice. People buy the juice like it's ridiculous. It's amazing. Are you serious? I need to so get now, some. <laughs> we, we, exactly. Now we created this other lane, this other market, you know, by making sure that we're taking care of others first. Wow. Um, the next generation. Correct. I heard um, uh, Alonzo Morning speak one time. And he, one thing he said was if everyone lived with the intention of taking care of someone else, we would be okay as a world or as a society, if that's what you led into. But again, and when you said it right there, you just reminded me, talking about the next generation, so many people want you to give back. Mm-hmm. Again, that's another word I think we've fallen into the trap of, giving back. I never took anything. You know, okay. so <laughs> this idea of giving back. Giving back. Uh, however, I will give too. Mm-hmm. I will give to a specific cause. The thing about giving back, it reminds me of the old slogan, uh, the checks in the mail. Oh, I, I gave at the office. I know, know, right? <laughs> and, and you don't really put 100% into making sure. I mean, how do I know what I'm giving is what you actually need? Yeah, that's you know? true. So, no, for, so for me, it takes more ownership now because I decide to give to. I give to specific causes, specific people for specific outcomes. This is how I want to change the world. This is how I want to create change. Love it. Love it. Well, listen, I know um, I could occupy your time all day, but you probably have to get back out to the venue. But is there anything else before I get to a fun lightning round of questions? Is there anything else that I didn't ask you want to share with the audience um, before we move into that final round of questions? The the main thing I want to share to everyone, and this is the youth, the adults, the decide to invest in you. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't invest in ourselves enough. And by meaning that, You know, I invested in having a coach. I decided, you know what, this is worth my life being different or changing. You know, Mm -hmm. it's easy to do the lip service that, you know, the world ain't right and this is not happening. (laughs) What investments, what investments are you doing in you, you know, in order to get X, Y, Z or whatever it is? You know, so that's my real takeaway. Invest in yourself and also do not wait for this imaginary moment where everything is going to be all right. You know, we're we're perfect. Yeah. yeah, We're perfect. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, we are again, this is 2020. Now this is going to be in the history books, global pandemic. Kids are not graduating from school. They don't know if we're going to school next fall. You know, all of these things, where is their perfect moment? We got to get them to stop thinking and looking for that perfect moment. I need you to just do. Oh, I love it. I love it. Wow. I'm just, I'm not even going to add to that. That was just a drop the mic moment. (laughs) Powerful. (laughs) Well, listen, let's do a fun, just a quick round of questions and we'll let you get back to your day. I'll say a word or phrase. And then you just tell me the first thing that comes to mind. What's your favorite food, Bertoni? 
Pizza. I'm from Brooklyn. Ah. I'm a New York kid. Pizza is my thing. I'm a pizza diva. I love it. <laughs> okay. What's your guilty pleasure if you have one? You may not have one. I don't. I mean, it, it, I guess if anything, guilty pleasure, it, it goes back to food. I, I, I'm a cookie man. You know, I literally, I will turn down a Papa Hayden beautiful dessert for a nice, warm, soft, baked chocolate chip cookie. You know? Wow. So, yeah, that's my And that's saying pleasure. a lot. That's, okay. That's, yeah, yeah. No, you've been to Papa Hayden. Right? Yeah. I know. I know. I go to Azupan's often and get that yes. chocolate. Yes. You know what I'm yeah. talking about. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Okay. What is maybe your favorite book or a book you're reading right now? Oh, well, a book that I'm reading right now is... Don't split the difference. Negotiate as if your life depends on it. Ah, I've heard of that book. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, and we have literally. This has been my most thought-provoking, makes you think, you know, type of book. Literally, um, that is where I'm. I am glued to the seat of it right now as we speak. Love it. Love it. Now, I don't imagine you watch any TV at all, let alone Netflix, but I'm going to ask anyway. <laughs> I do, yeah. Okay. So you know what? That is the guilty pleasure. That's how I end my night. I, okay. I mean, yeah. Law and Order, Chicago PD. Oh, all, yeah. All of the home shows, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, yes. I am with the home show HDTV. I mean, literally that's my channel. I mean, so I guess that's my guilty pleasure that no one knows. <laughs> I got it. Love it. Love it. And baby, um, dream vacation. If we, if we ever get a chance to travel again, what's on your, your list? Where have you put your dot on the map? Oh, I need to go back to the motherland. I need to get to Haiti to fulfill again, for me, the legacy of my dad, of my parents, of owning my, you know, heritage of who mm-hmm. I am. That's my big dream vacation is to to go back to Haiti. I love it. I love it. Wow. Well, listen, it's been an absolute joy and pleasure chatting with you and just unpacking just the last, you know, 15 years of just your journey and your passion to really bring experiences that we've never had to the Pacific Northwest around wine and the like. So thank you so much. We look forward to seeing you again soon. My pleasure. And I have to say, I am beyond flattered that you would even consider talking to me when Al asked me, I'm like, what she wants to talk to me for? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I put you high on, and, and I don't want to say pedestal, but I hold you in such high regard. And I am beyond flattered that the fact that you would have me on your show, your podcast, share my story. So I appreciate you. You're way too kind. And the feeling is mutual. <laughs> Thank you so much for Tony. Have a good rest of your day. Okay. Thank you, Lakeisha. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Roar. Tune in next time for more awesome talks with people at the top. Don't forget to subscribe and share so you're the first to know when our newest episodes are available. Until next time, 